Welcome to the BookNet Canada podcast. I'm your host, Selena Alvey, and this month we're sharing one of the more popular panels we had at our recent TechForm conference in Toronto. As the largest tech-focused book publishing event in Canada, TechForm provides hundreds of industry professionals a chance to discuss new research, strategies, and advancements in the book industry to help publishers and booksellers better reach their readers. In this panel, the focus was on how to effectively market and sell diverse book lists. Led by Leonica Valsius, the founder of Diverse Canlet and the chair of the Festival of Di Literary Diversity's Board of Directors, this discussion goes beyond championing diverse books because it's the latest trend, to acknowledging it as a business priority. Structured as an open brainstorming session, the following discussion tackles how to identify the right tools and strategies to get diverse books into the hands of readers, while addressing the obstacles and assumptions that stand in the way of that goal. Now here's Leonica, who will kick things off and introduce her fellow panelists. All right, so I'm gonna go super fast because we don't have a lot of time and there's so much to get through. We're going to try to solve all of publishing's problems in 45 minutes. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Um, so how it's gonna work is that this panel is about uh, brainstorming and problem solving. It's not about us having all the answers. It's about us as a group using our collective wisdom and experience to try to troubleshoot some of the problems we're facing while we're out there selling books or even before then when we're starting to market and think about how to place it in the context of the marketplace. Uh, so I'm going to work from and we're going to work from two basic assumptions. One is that diversity and inclusion are important to the growth and development of our industry. And two is that all of us in this room can be part of that solution. So working from here, what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce my fellow panelists and then ask them some questions about what they've done in the past, what's worked for them, what kind of obstacles they've faced, and how they worked through them. And then at about 15 minutes left in, the, in our time, I'm going to turn it over to you and ask you those same questions. So hopefully you can share obstacles you've, fa you've faced and that we can brainstorm solutions together. Sound cool? Awesome. So first up, right next to me, is Tan Light. After five years with Random House Canada, Tan Light joined the Literary Press Group as sales manager in early 2013. Tan manages all aspects of LPG's Salesforce project, which includes working closely with the Canadian Manda Group to develop seasonal catalogs and sales conference events. Tan also contributes content to LPG's digital project, alllitup.ca. And then John, John Taze is the event coordinator at McDowell Robinson Booksellers, Canada's largest independent bookstore located in Winnipeg, uh, Treaty One territory. He's responsible for hundreds of author events and musical performances annually, and was granted honorary membership in the League of Canadian Poets in 2015. So diving right in, I wanna start by asking if you have a process or way of thinking about um, when you're buying and selling diverse books, and if that process differs anyway from when you're selling books that are mainstream. And for this discussion, diverse books is anything that's not written by white folks, uh, written by straight folks, written by people who normally um, operate in the default setting. Is that cool uh, uh, as a working definition? Mm -hmm. All right, so how do you think about uh, diverse books differently when you're selling? Um, well, with the Literary Press Group, we're a, a, a membership organization. Um, so we have 60 different publishers, and I work directly with about 40 of them. So for a good group of my publishers, um, diversity is their mandate. 
um, they don't publish books by traditional authors that will operate in the norm. Um, so we're, I mean, I'm constantly looking at those books. I'm not sure that there's a process that's diff, well, there is a process that's different. I mean, I have to do work into the demographics of the audience that we're looking at so that I can understand uh, where folks are in Canada who are the primary target for any specific book. Um, there are pockets of different um, identifications that are in within major cities, but then also there are now rural pockets that are growing with the recent um, refugee wave that we've had. There are, there are definite areas of Canada that are having their demographics changed, um, and that's happening really quickly. So those are opportunities that we're looking at um, you know, if, if uh, like right now Windsor um, and Essex County is apparently one of the top spots for Syrian refugees to relocate to um, after their first year in Canada. It's a temperate climate and it's in Ontario. Um, people speak English. It's very nice there. Um, there's a lot of small towns, but also a lot of mid-sized cities. Mm -hmm. So people are relocating. So now we're, I'm trying to work with my reps to see if there's any way that we can start to bring attention of the booksellers to the fact that they now have a new population um, and a new market for the books that are in uh, southern Ontario. Um, and there are other uh, cities that have different population groups that when we have a book that fits with that, I want to make sure that my reps know how big that population is, um, where the major centers are, and I don't necessarily have to do that work for a straight white author of a fiction title. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, John, how do you think about it when you're in the bookstore, whether it's creating an event or thinking about how you're going to share this book with your, your buyers? Oh, of course. So the, um, we kind of look at the buying process in two different ways because there are two uh, different areas of focus, uh, strong focus for us. Uh, so the way we buy kids' books is slightly different from the way that we buy adult books. Uh, when it comes to buying adult books, the initial process is the same in that we're looking at uh, the quality of the book, the support that it's getting, the publicity, everything like that. Uh, but what we're also um, doing is taking a look to ensure that the book has context within our store or has a supporting group of books. Uh, so it's not just a single isolated title that we're just putting up somewhere. You need to ensure that you have uh, that kind of representation on the bookshelves in the first place because then you're drawing in a market that's looking for those books, looking for those stories. So it's that support that we're always looking for. And if there is a new book that we're looking to try, what can we do within the store to support the book and ensure that it's getting the visibility that it deserves? Um, the one thing that we kind of always say during the buying process uh, is that it's always so dangerous to assume that you know your customers or know who your customers are. R really the key thing is to think who can you reach with the book and what are you doing when you're putting that book on the shelf in the first place and who are you trying to reach with it. Also, uh, especially with issues-based titles, we get hit with such an onslaught of um, books depending on whatever the issue of the day is. So we're always looking for those uh, kind of unique uh, political and intellectual approaches to the topics at hand as well too. So rather than just um, pulling up, say, a fairly generic book or a book from a perspective that everybody's heard 500 times before, it kind of behooves us as somebody who's interested in having that kind of intellectual dialogue with the community and inviting in a wider community as well to bring in uh, books that speak to their experience, speak to their approach, and raise interesting questions. Um, when, it, when it comes to kids' titles, uh, the buying process is slightly different. We're quite privileged in that we're 
really uh, keyed into the education market. We have um, tens and tens, well, hundreds of schools from across uh, Manitoba that regularly shop in our children's department. And part of the mandate uh, in the Manitoba curriculum is diversity. So by that point, if we don't have a selection of diverse books on our shelf, we're really not doing our job correctly. But the nice thing is that that also allows us to uh, play a little more fast and loose with our children's department than uh, we otherwise may be able to uh, market-wise. It gives us the freedom to bring in a wider range of titles, experiment with wider titles, and uh, again, because of the curriculum, the both upstairs and downstairs as well too, because of the community within the city, while other bookstores are typically uh, almost pulling away uh, some bookshelves as well too from various sections, expanding for other things, uh, our two huge areas of growth are uh, Indigenous children's books, Indigenous YA, and Indigenous fiction and nonfiction as well too. So those are the sections that we're constantly adding shelves to and expanding the selection. So having that support within our store and the market means that we can do all kinds of interesting things. Um, the one thing we're always looking for as well too is trying to kind of peer down into the metadata and see um, where there is diversity that's not really the core um, subject of the book as well too. Simply those books that feature in children's diverse families and adults diverse environments mm -hmm. uh, just so that the books that we have on our shelf accurately reflect, reflect the community around us. Mm -hmm. So what I heard in that was um, for, first of all framing the book in, within a context for both adult and for children's books and also making sure that there's support within the market for those books. Absolutely. Okay, excellent. So let, doing a bit of self-evaluation, what are some of the things that you found worked really well for you um, in, in what are your strengths when selling the Dragonverse books? What are things that LPG is doing really well, do you think? Um, so each season I have a set of collective sell sheets and those pull from all of my publishers on different topics. Um, some of those uh, topics are informed by working with our library reps so that we understand what libraries are looking for, particularly in any season. Um, some of them are just really important for us. Um, we have an African Canadian Voices, we have an LGBTQ plus Voices um, cell sheet, and we have a uh, First Nations uh, Voices cell sheet. And so that gives me um, several pages to work with. I can pull out different themes. Um, I can highlight poetry. Uh, from any one of those voices, or graphic novels, or fiction, or anything. Um, and I can put several of those onto one page, so that um, you know, if we're presenting to John, then he gets several titles um, that kind of go together and help support that, you know, supporting within the store, um, they can pull an entire table worth of LPG books on one topic mm -hmm. together from um, the materials that I've got. Um, and also, All It Up was a huge project for us in the last few years, um, and that allows us to pretty much do all of our own programming. Um, we do hire writers uh, to provide content for us, and there's almost always a focus on highlighting diverse books. Um, and further to that, we also have been programming um, PD. Uh, because we're an organization, we want to work directly with our publishers to help them work more directly with um, diverse authors. So in the last few years, um, we have worked with Greg Younging to develop um, a First Nations and Indigenous style guide. Um, we have worked with Shameless Magazine to develop an intersectional style guide. Um, we have talked with Shri uh, Dimeline and Greg Schofield about marketing diverse books and how authors can help, but also how the publishers can reach diverse markets. Um, and so our PD and uh, our own sales vehicle have actually really helped us. 
Um, it, the discovery is super important um, for everything that you're doing to support diverse books because if you can't get them into the bookstores for whatever reason, at least now we have a vehicle to promote those books um, to people like yourselves who are in the industry but also really avid readers um, who I think are discovering some pretty interesting stuff because of what we're starting to associate and what we can highlight. Mm -hmm. um, John, I'm really curious, ask the same question, what are the strengths that you find um, in store you're able to do, but also um, a lot of what you talked about, Tan, was very um, face industry focused. What are you doing specifically customer facing to um, highlight those books to them? Are you doing anything different or is there a way you find that to reach those customers or to reach any customer for those books? <laughs> Well, I guess what um, the good thing about the store itself is that we do have very strong community support, people constantly in our walls. And the one benefit to being a bookstore rather than, say, a publisher or a distributor is that we have a place to invite people in and uh, get everybody's feedback. And people are not hesitant to provide you with feedback. And so I think recently we've been uh, very keen to listen to what uh, the community is telling us and what people are telling us when they come into our store, uh, kind of learning from what people have to say to us when we do um, kind of I always kind of put myself out there at events as almost the awkward uncle to see what might work in certain cases and see what might not, uh, to try to make people feel more comfortable and more invited at the store. So receiving feedback and kind of manipulating things uh, in that regard is a really good way uh, to proceed. Uh, one thing I've, we found as a store too is that you can never really get complacent and never assume that what you're doing is correct at any point. Um, the most vital thing is to constantly have that dialogue going on both with um, your readers and yourself to see uh, exactly what they're looking for, what you can provide, and what you could be doing better or completely differently. We've always had a strong group of readers on staff uh, who are interested in a diverse range of literature, and we also have the ability for all of our sections in the store as well, too. Each has an individual bookseller that's allowed to specialize in that area, so it's not one uh, omnipresent person making the uh, decisions uh, regarding purchasing for the entire store. So that allows for an individual variety of voices and also allows for those voices to regularly change. So we're freshening, freshening up sections. When we have part-timers coming in, we also will give them a section that if they are specifically interested so that they can mold it in uh, that own way as well too. So that also creates this great internal dialogue. We also have a strong display program as well too. And uh, so we have tables all throughout the store. And rather than just feature new titles, what we always try to do with those is uh, ensure that every display is essentially telling a story or focusing on a specific thing, almost as a form of, well, yeah, absolutely, storytelling within the store. So we can uh, find ways to explore topics in greater detail, contextualize books as well too. And um, yeah, just provide, uh, again, the support for those titles that uh, may need it. Um, yeah, no, I'd say that's, those are some of the strengths at least. For sure, yeah. Um, I like the idea of, of letting, of breaking down um, who gets to pick what books are because I remember it's so, when I talk about my job at Scholastic, I, was, I would say I, chose every French children's book that went into the French immersion books, uh, the book fairs. And so it was just me. And yes, of course, I had a team and I worked with my colleagues, but at the end of the day, it was just me. Um, so it's interesting, the idea of breaking that down a little bit and having people specialize in one area and um, have different voices um, interacting. And hopefully, in that way, you can 
get different perspectives and people who are seeing something one person might not. Um, I'm curious to hear about your obstacles, things that, you've, that you're still struggling to deal with, um, roadblocks you're finding, um, things you've tried that haven't worked. Um, Tan, do you want to start? Um, well, I mean, it, it comes up a little bit later, but there's definitely still some pushback um, in certain areas of the country. Um, so, I mean, we're still, we are still facing some of the, the traditional roadblocks that have always been in place um, to celebrating diverse books, but... Um, well, I guess the, um, one of our key issues is, while we do have a huge bookstore and are able to do a lot of things within it, um, our location uh, works against us to a certain extent. We're very suburban, uh, we have a single bus route, we're not located in the downtown. So that poses a bit of an issue for us in terms of getting a diverse crowd of people and welcoming uh, different communities within to our store. The area around our store is very much in flux now, but primarily it was mostly upper middle class white folks. Uh, so our audience and our bookstore was more geared toward that. And uh, for a while there was a bit of complacency there, but then we realized that in order to bring more people in, we need to ensure that people feel comfortable in it, that they recognize themselves on our shelves, recognize themselves in the way our store is arranged and the displays as well too. Uh, and it's important for us as a store to get out into the community as well too. So those are things that we definitely need to improve on that we are working on at the moment. And I think when we get to uh, how we've overcome certain things a little bit later on, we'll touch on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, our staff makeup is also uh, working a little bit against us because again, we are a primarily Caucasian store. So trying to find uh, people that can speak with authority or speak with authority with, on behalf of or to certain groups can be a little bit difficult as well. Um, there can be a certain amount of uh, resistance from readers as well too, a certain amount of resistance uh, from people even regarding event topics as well. So just dealing with that and finding ways to learn from that experience more than anything else is pretty key for us. Uh, and also another uh, thing which kind of dovetails with our location is that we don't have a very young uh, demographic coming into our store. And that's a young demographic where if they, there's basically an assumption, and this is where I sound like an old man, that the books that they're interested in won't be on our shelves because they're traditionally not in physical locations as well. So trying to convince them that they are looking for interesting uh, like avant-garde writing or poetry or just anything that speaks to their experience that it can be found on our shelves and they don't need to necessarily just go immediately online and discount the possibility of finding themselves represented in us. And uh, again, the other thing that's important to struggle with as well, too, is ensuring that the diversity that's inherent to the store isn't simply there as just a marketing or selling point as well, too, that it's embraced and that we actually follow through with the ideas that we're presenting. Uh, exploring ideas around reconciliation especially is key in Winnipeg. Uh, that's a huge emphasis. And ensuring that when we are dealing with uh, community organizations, that they're getting as much out of that relation as uh, we are as well, too, that it's a purely reciprocal exchange. And I'm going to come back to you. I don't want yeah. you to escape. So, um, <laughs> because I, I want you to be super explicit about what you meant. Like, what are the struggles you're actually facing? So, okay. So John touched on it a tiny bit um, a little while ago when he said that they look at the book cover and the production and all the values that go into it, and they select books um, that look good all together, um, and that you can kind of have a, a quality baseline and. There is a, an opinion about independent publishing that it is not as good as traditional publishing. And, and it's true that we have fewer resources. 
not going to lie. Um, smaller houses have fewer resources than the bigger houses. Um, and so a lot of the diverse publishing is coming out of the smaller houses that don't have an in-house cover designer and they don't have a typesetting department. Um, they don't have in-house marketers and salespeople that can influence everything while the book is being developed. They're working to a specific stage and then it gets to me. Um, and so we do get a lot of pushback about um, you know, books don't have the covers that we're looking for. The covers aren't strong enough or um, the paper stock isn't what we typically carry. Um, and I'm not sure how much of that is pushback that can be legitimized by these kinds of comments about the, the product mm -hmm. or if that is necessarily an actual re like real problem for readers to pick up books that maybe look a little bit less yeah. polished, um, but that they're still really interested in the topic. Um, and so with, I mean, with eBooks, you kind of take the physical object out of it, so you can start to see um, in the e-space where your content might be succeeding, where the package is, right. is taking away from you. Right. Um, and so there's been a lot of learning there, and um, again, bringing back to our PD, we have done a lot of, um, PD work on copy, um, on production values, on cover design, what works, what doesn't work, what like best practices to keep in mind. Um, so we're constantly trying to help our publishers compete on that level with the big houses so that their books are not being dismissed out of hand um, mm -hmm. and they are actually getting a chance to be considered. I would right. say that's probably a, a, a big issue um, yeah. still in getting diverse books to the shelves. Yeah, to the shelves. Um, I think that's interesting, um, and this is, it's not a question, it's a comment, and because part of this was supposed to be um, us brainstorming solutions to these problems. Um, and I'm curious if part of that is just how our industry is set up, um, and whether those same issues, if the customer necessarily is, have, like does the customer, I go into a store and feel the paper, and I'm like, oh, nah, I don't know. <laughs> but that's also because I'm in the industry and I've touched a lot of paper, right? But, um, but I'm not sure if every, like, um, if a, a, every consumer is like that, mostly because we know that self-publishing works. Mm -hmm. We know that, I know for a fact that um, chat books sell. I go to, there's a Toronto Urban Book Festival, um, for Urban Book Expo that's run by this fabulous woman um, named Stacey Marie Robinson. And it's basically all indie publishers, um, predominantly uh, black authors who are coming from the greater Toronto area, but also some of them coming up from New York, Detroit area. And all of them have books that were the production value we would probably look down our nose at, but they're selling their books and the customers are there. And it's quite a successful event. Um, so I'm wondering, perhaps if we need to think about who we're trying to reach, um, how we're trying to reach them, and if there's a way to find a compromise there, perhaps, um, or provide more support to those, um, to those indie um, and smaller publishers who need it. And the, I think the other thing, and this kind of dovetails into it, is a lot of our publishers don't host their book launches in bookstores because they can't find a bookstore that believes they have the community to support that book. Mm -hmm. So they're launching um, in 
community centers or uh, temples or other places where they can they have a congregation and an audience that is specific to that place. Right. Um, so if the book launches aren't happening in the bookstores, the bookstores don't know that there's a huge audience for this book. And you, you, like, we need to find a way to kind of bring all of those elements together. You know, we need a bookstore to be at this offsite launch so that the bookstore is aware that this community exists and the community is aware that this bookstore exists that wants to support them, right? Both of those groups need exposure to the other. Right. Um, and if we continue to have, you know, big events offsite where we have publishers selling themselves um, and then quietly slipping the numbers into BookNet, um, you know, when we go to look at that later and look at the sales numbers, the numbers are there, but they didn't come from any of the stores. And the stores were like, oh, well, I only sold like two or three copies of that, yeah. um, you know, that last one. And I was like, yes, but we did an event down the street from your store and we sold 800 copies. That could have been yours, you know? Mm -hmm. like, so it, it's, it, it's trying to bring all parts yeah. of the, the conversation together and to, to allow everyone to realize they're operating in the same geographical space, they're just not operating in the same cultural space. And there's an opportunity for everybody to kind of get together on that um, and both benefit financially and as a community. Yeah. Um, Do you mind if I comment on that yeah, really quickly? Um, because that's actually one of the things that uh, we kind of looked at as an issue uh, years ago as well. And so now what I spend a lot of my time doing is basically scouring all catalogs for any mention of Winnipeg, any mention of Manitoba, and kind of proactively going out into the community and just saying, we know you have a book coming out. Or if I hear about it from somebody else, also approaching an author and saying, we know you have a book coming out. Would you like to host an event here at the store? And one of the things we've tried to do as much as humanly possible is ensure that that's accessible as well too to everybody. And accessibility is key. Because so often people will assume that there isn't the possibility to have a launch at the bookstore and will go off and say rent a community center or something like that. Whereas uh, we could have them in the store celebrating, bringing their friends and family in and their entire community and then not really be right. on the hook for anything as well too. So that, that's kind of key, that kind of outreach. So um, I'm looking at the time, and I'm looking at the questions I have left. Um, so we're, I'm, I think I like this question, so I'm going to ask it. Um, what problem did you used to have that you think you fixed or that you found a good solution for? Um, and because I think we're all in this room trying to grapple with some of the same things, and I think you've, you've touched on some of them, especially with your talk about your professional development workshops uh, that LPG does, and uh, John, you touched on um, the work you're doing towards getting more uh, a different members of the community within the store, but I'd love to hear other things you tried, and just because this comes a little bit later on, but might dovetail into this, um, how do you win over the readers who may be a bit resistant to the topics of or the the material that you're as you're changing what the store is carrying? How do you win them over? Um, okay. Well, I don't. I, so I don't work directly with the stores, mm -hmm. um, but after talking to my reps. Um, you know, they kind of indicated that, like, some stores are, are their mandate is to support diverse books. Mm -hmm. So you go into that store armed to the teeth with all the knowledge that you have of all the diversity and all of the aspects of these books. But for some of the other ones, they're apparently being cut off mid-sentence. 
when those diversity claims come out. And if you can't pitch the book, like if it's just as soon as those any keywords are out there and, and that shuts down the conversation, you have to figure out how to pitch the book without pitching as a diverse book, yeah. <laughs> right? Like how, you have to draw on all the other aspects. So part of it is knowing who you're talking to, what their story is like, what they consider to be their audience, um, and to kind of frame the books for them. Um, and as I'm saying that, I'll, I, I, it doesn't, it's not like whitewashing the books, but. I see what you mean, no, I, I get it. Um, I, I'm gonna quickly point out, um, the We Need Diverse Books organization in the US, one of the things that they did um, when they first started, they started, they created like sample sell sheets of here's how to take a book that you would usually pitch as a diverse book and pitch it on the merits of the story rather than saying, well, you know, you have a big uh, Muslim population in your area, so here's a book about a Muslim girl and her coming of age story, rather saying here's a book about a Muslim girl who goes to high school in a new place and she meets a new boy and yada, yada, yada. So taking the merits of the story and, if, and saying here are the read-alikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 knowing, it's knowing when you're, like sometimes you just have to pitch the book, right? Just pitch the story or the, you know, the, the topic and why it's got a, a spin, mm -hmm. but it, it's not necessarily you know, the author or the orientation or the race or the gender or anything like that, it's, it's the rest of it. Um, and we have a lot of authors who identify one way, but don't necessarily write about right. the topic or the issues right. or, or the things that they're facing, but we want to know about their identification because there are accounts that you know, look for LGBTQ voices to support or indigenous voices to support. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's, sometimes I find it a little bit difficult because some of my publishers don't ask for that information. I think all publishers should ask. Sorry, I'm gonna jump ahead and say <laughs> things that would make my life easier. <laughs> ask and yeah. record it so we can track and see improvement. Yeah, agree, and, and so when I asked, I, I asked for, you know, can you send me some ISBNs that fall into the following categories? And they'll be like, we, we don't actually know that. So that's an issue because they, they can't, we can't promote the books into those categories if you don't know from your authors whether or not they fall into any of these categories. Um, but sometimes you may not want to self-identify. Um, and in that case, you know, you have to work around that as well mm -hmm. and try to get the best support for them as possible. So. There are, I mean, there's, there are many, many levels right. to how everything is identified, the keywords, the metadata, you'll hear, I, I will tell you again, it is very, very important to selling diverse books, um, having your books show up in the same results. Um, a few years ago, we had an indigenous YA debut novel. It was Lightfinder. Lightfinder is fantastic. <laughs> Please go read Lightfinder. Um, but, by Christmas time um, of the year that it came out, it was on Amazon's top 10 fantasy, full stop, fantasy books, settled right between Neil Gaiman and George R. R. Martin. Because the data was awesome, the author was awesome, they pushed that book so hard. Um, he had connections pretty much everywhere across Canada. He went to every single school and reservation and everywhere and talked about his book. He was an artist, he gave away art. Like he has been talking about this book for three years. It's still like a runaway bestseller for us. Um, 
and that was like that book was amazing. And for a while, it took us a little a little bit to get that going because it was a debut novel by an indigenous author in Canada, right? It's not it's not the book that everybody picks for the bestsellers list, right. but it like it it and it's great. Yeah. John, I want you to jump in here. Um, we were talking about um, basically what are things that that like how could you what are things that you want to do better, what are problems you fix, and winning over retailers and readers. So as a retailer, what would win you over? What are, knowing that you have to make a selection, <laughs> right? Because you do, and I mean, you do. You can't carry everything. So what are things that help make your job easier when you're faced with these books? What, are, what things can the sales force do to help win you over and help you win your readers over? Well, I think uh, some of the problems that you raised are ones that are so key when it comes to actually talking to our readers and the people in the community as well, too. It's that really, you, they're the two dangers you come into when you're trying to sell diverse books. And one of them is uh, kind of falling into exoticizing the books almost when you're trying to sell them to readers. And then it, it does nobody any services and is just demeaning more so than anything else. You're having these um, books supposedly succeed just on the basis of their cultural merits rather than on the quality of the writing, which is incredible. And then also assuming that diverse authors can only write about diverse experiences as well too. And so often we have readers who'll come into the store and just think, no, that's not for me because they're not writing about this issue that I'm interested in. So I think a lot of it is just uh, convincing readers of the quality of the writing, uh, receiving uh, lists from publishers as well too, lists that dig deep as well, that uh, provide us with lists of people from certain, um, certain communities that we can form displays around, that we can form events around. Um, and I think another, because the problem is always trying to sell those books in isolation. And when you're just dealing on a title by title basis, it becomes much more difficult then to create that surrounding uh, supportive environment. Uh, the problem that we used to have uh, was also that community engagement, which is something that we're uh, working on quite strongly now to try to increase going out to the community, working with organizations, bringing people in. and. I think one of the uh, struggles as an events host that I deal with uh, is that we previously used to covet all events uh, and just presume that if you have a book being published, you want to launch it in our store. And what we've realized now is that we're not always necessarily the right place for an event. And so there is sometimes to just kind of pull back, suggest other possibilities, or um, not just try to sink your talons into every book event that comes to the city and ensure that they're being launched in a venue that is right for them and respectful for them. I'm gonna turn, I have like two minutes left. We're gonna go over, I'm sorry. Um, but um, you don't need a break. Um, so I'm gonna pare down and ask the audience two questions. First, I wanna ask the same obstacle questions. What are the obstacles you face when you're selling diverse books? Like, or even as you think about how to market, sell, publicize, how do you approach them? There are two mics that you can, if you want to go to them and share your comments, if you have questions for us, if we can help you quickly brainstorm things. So that's question number one. Question number two is what would make your job easier? Um, I'd love to hear it because we have people in this room who could literally do the thing that would make your job easier. Um, please go to the mic if you want those things. No, no one has comments or questions. Yeah, you do. do. There you go. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, so I, I work at Harlequin. I work in editorial. Um, so you know we're constantly trying. We're trying harder and harder to get those 
those diverse reads for mm -hmm. our consumers that definitely want them. And we're hearing more and more, especially, you know, at, you know, like our RTA and like different sort of conferences that we go to that they want that more. And we, we for a great example that we, we're experiencing this is a huge problem is the bookseller. <laughs> so we'll have like a great author like Brenda Jackson. She's a New York mm -hmm. Times bestselling author. She's fabulous. And, um, you know, she'll have a black character and we'll, we'll put them on the cover. And then instead of selling her in contemporary romance, which is what the book is, it's a contemporary romance, it'll get put, you know, in a bookstore into the African-American section. And she wants to go in the contemporary romance section. It's a contemporary romance. And she's finding her sales are getting pigeonholed into this one section. And while it is a diverse book, that's not what it is and more and more we find that we're like how do we push back on these booksellers to like be like you know sell them in, in the categories that that they are like we have the key words to say yes this is, has a diverse cast of characters if we if there's like a bisexual character in the book we'll say that in the, in the metadata you know and like that's information's there but we're trying to sell to everyone you know mm -hmm. and it's just like how do we come combat that when like we're trying to do it and like it's it's hard when the booksellers aren't supporting us and how do we get them to support us yeah yeah um i think about this all the time so i mean i i guess my idea and booksellers in the room tell me if that's it's wrong to think this way i i actually hear a lot that the African-American section is useful for black romance readers who just like, they're like, I don't even want to bother trying to go through the whole mess of the store. Let me know that there's a section for me. But is there, especially online, can you double face those books? So you put them in both places so that the new reader who's just brought, who's knows they like contemporary romance, but doesn't necessarily know Brenda Jackson's name will stumble upon her but the reader who knows Brenda Jackson is in African-American uh, fiction all the time will find her there as well. I think that would be ideal, if possible. Is that something that, um, I mean, I'm looking to you, John, as if you're going to answer for all <laughs> retailers everywhere in all of Canada. On behalf of the Canadian bookselling industry. <laughs> uh, no, I think that multiple section coding is so key. Like uh, Gwen Benway, for example, from uh, Kegadon's Press, uh, uh, Anishinaabe, Métis, and transgender poet. So we're able to basically try to feature her as much as we humanly can within the store exactly by that way of multiple coding. So we can have her in the LGBT section, uh, we can have her in indigenous poetry, and we can have her in Canadian poetry as well. So she can find this wide variety of readers. Mm -hmm. And it is about that. And I realize store space is limited. We're somewhat privileged in the fact that we do have a larger store that we can play around with those things a little bit. But if you can find ways to showcase books in multiple sections, you'll see that you see great success as a result and lead to finding new readers for them in the books around them. Right. Um, all of our sales information, when we send it to our reps, it includes both the BISAC codes and two sections of the bookstore where you would like to see the book. So it allows the publishers to say, I think this book fits best here and here. Um, and that may, it, I mean, it should correspond to your BISAC codes, hopefully. Um, but it, it gives you a chance to decide out of you know Gwen's four categories, which two they think the readers are going to look for first. Mm -hmm. Because the problem with taking books out of a section for specific readers is that those specific readers are looking for those specific books and you don't want to just bury them in the general bookcases, but you do want the general readership to be able to find them as well, mm -hmm. right? So you don't want to make things harder for the core readership of that, that book 
to find it, but you also want to make sure that it's discoverable to all the other readers who may be interested in contemporary romance. Right, right. Um, repeating the questions again, what are some obstacles that you're facing and or what are things that would make your job easier? Yes. Um, I have a question going back to what Tan was talking about with the look of the book. And maybe it's not even a question for you guys, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we have a, a book coming up in the fall. It's on reconciliation. We have an Indigenous author. We're trying to involve as many Indigenous people as possible. But when it came right down to designing the book, um, we found that we were not always in agreement. And I think it's partly because book design in many ways is, is quite staid. And we've seen magazines develop and change their look and become more edgy in some ways and, and online certainly. And I wonder if, um, if we might start adjusting our expectations of how books look mm. for not just for diver diverse books but across the board and that be more open maybe. Um, and I, I, it sort of became a challenge to us in-house to not always be thinking about the traditional book design as the only way to present information. Right. So not so much a question, maybe. Maybe a challenge. Mm -hmm. right. No, I agree. I think, I think that it's larger than just the book design. It's the idea of how do we typically do things and how can we do it differently? Just because we've done it this way for so long doesn't mean we need to do it this way again. Um, yeah, that was part of all the notes that I didn't speak. I actually didn't say any of the answers I was going to say, you guys. I held back. Um, any other questions, comments? I'm new to kids publishing, mm -hmm. and um, Lorimer's mandate is obviously um, to publish diverse books um, and getting these books into schools so that kids can actually see themselves reflected in the literature that they're reading. Um, and I guess the challenge that I've noticed since I started working on our metadata is finding the right place to communicate information about the books mm. on the diversity of the book. Um, and not just about where the author is, is coming from and their perspective, but about the characters themselves as well. And it's hard to pack all of that information into the book product uh, description alone. Yeah. Um, and so finding a place where, you know, the booksellers are going to be finding and using this information. Is it keywords or, you know, the Bisek subjects alone are not sufficient. Tell me about it. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, we're, I think that's the end of it, but just to speak to that really quickly, one of the things I had listed as things that would make my life easier is if there were fields to enter that information specifically, mm -hmm. so that not only when I'm pulling data, I could do a quick pivot table to see how we're performing and how what our percentage of our books are from certain demographics, but also so that, um, so that it could be easily categorized that way. I believe there are certain publishers, and I think Lorimer is one of them, that that it does, don't simply do sell sheets, but do customer-facing categories on their mm -hmm. site. Here are all the books that are about LGBTQ. Here are all the books that are about um, uh, re religious minorities. And I think that we'd be surprised how often customers are searching in that way and how useful that would be for them. I wish, wish, wish we had more time, but I think I'm gonna get in trouble. So thank you so much for coming. If you're interested in continuing the discussion on diversity in the publishing industry, you can check out FOLD, also known as the Festival of Literary Diversity, which will take place from May 4th to 7th in Brampton, Ontario. Visit thefoldcanada.org for more information on that. 
To learn more about Tech Forum or the work we do, visit booknetcanada.ca. Thanks to Leonica, John, and Tan for leading this discussion and to all those who helped make Tech Forum a success, including the attendees, all the great speakers, and those who volunteered or worked at the event. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund for this project. And of course, thanks to you for listening.